Matthew chapter number 27 is where we're going to start today, and then we're going to make our way over to the book of Luke and the 23rd chapter. Matthew chapter number 27 is where we will begin. You can remain seated for the reading of God's Word today. This day that we are going to read about is a pivotal day in all of human history. It's a day that changed everything. You know, the whole world is dated around the existence of this man whose name is Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross of wood. His hands and his feet were nailed to a tree. He was lifted up from the earth in front of his own mother, in front of some of his followers, some onlookers, Roman soldiers, his own countrymen, the Jews, and those who hated him and even delighted in his suffering. And several interesting things took place on the day that Jesus Christ was crucified. I believe that every single step that took place on this day was ordered by God. Everybody was in the right place and at the right time. Even Simon the Cyrenian who was grabbed and told to help the Lord carry the cross up Calvary's hill, was in the right place at the right time. Everything that took place on this day was ordained beforehand of God. God determined in eternity past, if you will, that Jesus Christ would die, that he would pay for the sins of mankind, and he made a full payment. He didn't leave any sins unpaid for. He paid for all sins of all time so that every person at any time and at any time period could be saved. And this morning we're going to be considering some of these unique circumstances that took place when Jesus was crucified. In Matthew chapter number 27, the Bible says in verse number 35, it says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did uh, did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. In the next few verses, it talks about the sarcasm and the mocking that people did towards Christ, their words toward him. But I want to draw our attention to verse 44. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. We're going to stop there for this reading. We'll flip over to Luke 23 in just a moment. But we are going to be considering this morning these two thieves that were crucified with the Lord. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, we ask and we pray this morning that you'd be with the preaching of your word. I pray that if there's anyone here today who is not saved, that today would be the day where they receive you by faith. And I pray that those of us who are saved, Lord, would be able to be reminded of that day when we first trusted in you. And we thank you and praise you for all that you'll do. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse number 44 of Matthew chapter 27, it clearly states that both thieves, uh, uh, as of verse number 44, were casting the same ideas in their teeth. These two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, which were crucified with him, had the same attitudes towards Christ as those that were wagging their heads at him and mocking him. In some of the verses here in Matthew 27 and verses 40 through 43, it talks about how people were being sarcastically, uh, they were using their words sarcastically towards the Lord and that they were mocking the Lord. And uh, And it says that the thieves had the same attitude as these did at this time. Amazingly though, Matthew's gospel doesn't declare everything that took place with these two thieves. All we know is that at some point during the Christ's crucifixion, these two thieves at one time had the same idea as those who rejected Christ. Now, if you flip your Bible over to the book of Luke, just two or three, well, it's uh, two books over, several pages over to the right, Luke chapter number 23. Now, we know what we call the Gospels were eyewitness accounts. These were men who were contemporaries of Jesus Christ. They lived with him. They saw his miracles. They were with Christ from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry. And they wrote from a different perspective. Matthew was the reading where we read. Now we're reading the gospel according to Luke, who was a doctor. In Luke chapter number 23, we'll begin our reading in verse number 32. We read of a great change that takes place with these two thieves. In Luke 23 and verse number 32, the scripture reads, And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And now we begin this reading in verse 39 of what took place. After the initial crucifixion, something took place with these two thieves. One of the thieves had a change of heart. In verse 39 it says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ... Save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt, today shalt thou be with me 
in paradise. What a wonderful story that took place during the most intense suffering that any man could have ever gone through. Now, as of the time when Christ was crucified, the crucifixion was bad enough. He had nails that were put through his hands and one nail through his feet. He was hung up on a cross of wood. They lifted him up. They had a post hole dug. So Jesus would have laid down on the cross. They would have took these nails, the Roman soldiers, and pounded it through his hands and his feet and fastening our Savior to the cross. They had a post hole dug. This cross would then be lifted up after he was nailed to the cross, and it would be dropped in to that post hole, and Jesus Christ would have been suspended between heaven and earth. We know that according to Scripture, Jesus was hanging there pretty much naked in front of his own mother, having been crucified. As of this time, Jesus had already been beaten with a whip. He'd been scourged with a cat of nine tails. History tells us he was hit 39 times with a whip that had nine tails on it. Inside of that whip were pieces of bone and sharp pieces of glass. When they would whip somebody at this time, they would tie their hands above over their head to to make the flesh on their back taut. And when they would whip that whip into the back, they would yank that whip and it would take the flesh along with it out. His back was turned into a piece of, say, raw hamburger meat, if you will. The Bible says when we look at Christ, there's no beauty that we should desire him. By the time he was hung up on Calvary, he'd already been buffeted. He'd been smitten by fists by the Roman soldiers. They took his beard. They plucked it from his face. He had been spat upon. He had a crown of thorns platted upon his head. He had people putting a bag over his head, taking a stick like a baseball bat, and whacking him with the stick over the head, saying, If you're the Christ, if you're so if you're so smart, if you're if you're God, then go ahead and tell us who smote you with that. By the time Christ got to Calvary, he was irrecognizable as a man. Now he's hung up, he's in intense suffering, he's struggling for breath as he's been crucified. And he has people mocking him, wagging their heads at him. They come by the cross, the enemies of Christ, and they begin to say, he saved others, let him save himself. I could see them as they came. They had no idea what was taking place that day. By the way, neither did the disciples, neither did the mother of Jesus. Not many people understood what Jesus was doing that day. I oft wondered why Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Perhaps it was because Jesus at this time was stealing away our sins and paying for our sins while no one knew it. And that's exactly what took place that day. Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins on Calvary. But yet, even when he was at his most and highest suffering, he had time for a sinner who had come to him. These malefactors were people who were criminals. They were a common criminal. They were people who were crucified next to the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of these events, the Bible says that both of them were in agreement with those who were mocking the Lord Jesus. But in Luke chapter number 23, no doubt, after hearing some of Christ's words and his reaction to being crucified, something took place in the one thief's heart. 
Perhaps it was when Jesus said in verse 34 of Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, Jesus Christ knew everything about every man. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts from afar off. There's nothing you've ever thought that's hidden to the Lord. In fact, He knows what you're thinking, and He knows what you're going to say before you even say it. That's how smart the Lord is. The Lord knew that when these people were crucifying Him, they had no idea who they were crucifying, and they did not know what they were doing. And He said, while He's being crucified, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Sometime in your life when someone's bitterly or rudely treating you, it's one of the hardest things to do is to forgive them in the midst of the very time when they're delivering pain and suffering to you. This shows us how we are man and Jesus was more than a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. Anybody who could give forgiveness to someone else while going through this kind of suffering, he had to have been the Son of God. Jesus was so different from any other man. This thief recognized that. But the other thief, he kind of still had that same idea and the same attitudes about Christ. And in verse number 39, it says, One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ... Now this, these words railed on him means, I speak evil against you. If you look at the words, it actually means abusive or scurrilous language about God or men or to vilify. Now, in the, basically, when you're reading the Bible, sometimes you can't read the voice inflections that people say. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. If I say it like that, it doesn't sound all that bad. But if you're on one side of the Lord and you're looking at him and you're hating him as those who have passed by wag their heads at him and he starts wagging his head at him from that cross next to him, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. That's the idea of the scripture. He was mocking the Lord. He was headed for death. And the last recorded words of this malefactor was mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say this to you about that. I don't recommend doing that. In your last day on earth, I hope you're saying things that are receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, not rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. This man wanted Jesus for what he could do for him. He wanted salvation only. Save me. Get me off this cross. And I suppose if Jesus would have took him off the cross, he would have been right back to his old ways and his old lifestyle. Thieving and stealing and being a criminal, which was exactly why he was up there. But he didn't want Christ for who he was. And the other thief heard this and he had had enough of it. The other thief had heard enough and seen enough. He had a change of heart from the beginning of this story and now toward the end. He says... In verse number 40, he rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God? The words of Scripture is, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And then he makes an admission. He said, for we, he said, and we indeed justly, in verse 41, we're receiving a just sentence for who we are and what we have done. 
So the first thing that this other thief is now doing is rebuking the other thief for his lack of the fear of God. He said, if you feared God, you wouldn't be saying these things to Christ the way you're saying them. He said, don't you fear God? Don't you see that you're in the same condemnation? And he said, we are receiving the just reward of our deeds. So the second thing he did was he took responsibility for his wrongdoing and his punishment. He took what we call accountability. You know, you can't get help from God until you take accountability. You can't get saved unless you're willing to acknowledge that you are a sinner. You can't get saved. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Your sinfulness should lead you to an area of humility. You know, it should make you feel bad that someone suffered for you. You know, let's say last night somebody went out and they decided that they were going to get behind the wheel of the car after they had drank. And let's say some man this, this morning, his wife was outside watering her flowers, his precious wife, someone who he loved and cared for. And that drunk driver drove by on that side street, and because he was so drunk, he ran off the road and ran over that man's sweet wife. Now, when he sobers up, I'm sure that he's going to have some thoughts of regret. I'm sure that he's going to have some thoughts of what great tragedy has taken place as a result of him taking someone else's life because of his foolish actions. I want to look every single one of you in your God-given eyeballs today and say this, you're just as guilty because your sins crucified Jesus Christ. That shouldn't make you feel good. It's not good that Jesus had to die as a substitute for us. And by the way, you can't get saved until you relegate his blood as a result of you and your sin. Someone innocent died for you. You know why he died for you? Because he loved you. Because he wanted you to be able to be forgiven for every dirty thought you'd ever think, for every act of, of sin that you'd ever commit. You young people, you're, you're, you're yet young. You're just learning about life. Some of you are going to learn about the ways of the world, and you may even dive into the pool of wickedness, and by the time you're in your 20s, you may be far more wicked then than you are now. But what I can tell you to you now is Jesus died for all the sins you ever did commit and ever would commit. You know why? Because he loved you. He cared for you. Even while you were a sinner, he cared for you. All the adults that have come to church today, Jesus loved you. He died for every sin that you'd ever commit. Every time you had a dirty thought, every time you had a thought about hurting somebody else, every time you had a thought about hatred towards your parents or towards some authority, every time you had some kind of something going through your heart that was a thought of lust or of greed or of hatred or of envy or of jealousy, Jesus died for all of those sins. He died for everything and everyone. And in order to get saved, you have to take accountability, just as the thief on the cross did, the one thief. He took accountability. He also declared that Jesus Christ was innocent. You see, in order to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that you can go to heaven. You can't get saved while you believe that there are many roads to lead to heaven. Jesus said, and you have to believe it, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not through religion. You know, you've come to a Baptist church today, but you don't go to heaven because you're a Baptist. You may be coming to the church house today and you've got a Catholic background. You won't go to heaven because you're Catholic. 
You may come in with a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Church of Christ background. You don't go to heaven based on what you claim to be your religion. You go to heaven based on Jesus Christ and what you've done with him. It's only Christ. He's the only way to go to heaven. And you can't go to heaven without Christ. You can't get saved unless you believe that. Lord, you're the only way for me to be saved. Some people, they come to Christ and they, they're believing that if they add Jesus as another coat to their closet, they'll be covered. In other languages, in other, in other countries, people believe that there are many ways to go to heaven. If I pray to the sun, the moon, the stars, the cows, the creatures, the, the, we, praying to, and worshiping fire and di- different gods. And then if I just put Jesus into the closet along with all these others, no. Jesus is the only coat in the closet. All the others go. You can't get saved unless you believe he's the only way. You can't get saved unless you believe that Jesus is sinless. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points like we were, yet he was without sin. He was the darling of Calvary, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He never thought a dirty thought. He never committed an act of sin. Don't you dare believe what Hollywood says about Jesus. They are all liars. The Bible said that Jesus Christ was sinless. He was spotless. He was in all ways proven to be our Messiah. And he, the thief on the cross, said, This man hath done nothing amiss. He said, We receive the just reward of our deeds, but he's done nothing wrong. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ did nothing wrong of his own doing, but he took upon himself our sins? The Bible says that he became sin for us. You know why Jesus started sweating, as it were, great sweat drops of blood as he went through Gethsemane into that corridor when he was being squeezed beyond measure, when he became sin, when he became the vilest of sins that men had ever committed, when they were laid upon his back. Why do you think Jesus from the cross said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even God in heaven turned his back on his own son because he was bearing sin. He was paying for our sins. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah and the 53rd chapter that God would see the travail of his soul and he would be satisfied. That's why darkness fell from 12 noon to 3 p.m. that day. Darkness fell upon the whole land because those invisible transactions between God the Father and God the Son were taking place. And at that time, Jesus was suffering for our sins and he paid for all of them by the time he said, it is finished. He declared Christ to be innocent. This is an important truth that all saved men must acknowledge. Christ was sinless. And now he gets done rebuking him and making a declaration that Christ had done nothing wrong. And he begins to talk to Christ himself. Let me ask you this. Have you ever talked to Christ himself about salvation? Some religions will teach you that you have to go through a man in order to get saved. You have to go through another man, a mediator. The Bible says you don't have to do that. You can go straight to Jesus himself. If you're going to get saved, in fact, you have to pray to Jesus himself. You have to pray to him. If you've never been saved today and you're feeling this massaging in your heart, this burning in your soul where the Lord's drawing you to salvation, you know why the Lord's doing that? Because he loves you. He wants you to be saved, and you can be saved. And if you're ever going to get saved, you're going to have to go straight to the source, and that is Jesus. 
this thief on the cross had this access to Christ. He was close to him. And he looked at Jesus and he says in verse 42, the first word that came out of his mouth is a key word. The word is Lord. Verse 42 says, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, this word Lord means master, having power or supreme in authority. He, re- he recognized that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to tell you this, Jesus Christ is every bit as Lord, much as Lord today as he ever was. He's not just the Savior He first is holy and he is the Lord. He is in charge. He recognized Christ as Lord. He's saying, Lord, he called him by a proper name. Jesus is not a male boy. Amen. Jesus is high and lifted up. Matter of fact, God, the Bible says God gave him a name that's above every name. And that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father... He said, Lord, and then he says this, Would you remember me? Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He wanted the Lord when when he went into his kingdom, whenever that would be, and it would be later on in that day, in just a few short minutes, both Jesus and this thief would be in that glorious kingdom, in that place of bliss and rest. (laughs) He said, Lord, would you remember me? Isn't that a great request? Lord, don't forget me. In eternity, remember me. I'm I'm a thief, Lord. I'm getting the just reward of my deeds, but I want you to remember me when you get into your kingdom. And graciously, at the height of Christ... Now listen, when you're in pain, how many of you have ever been in excruciating pain? How much thinking could you do for someone else? One of the hardest times to think about someone else and their needs is when you're in excruciating pain. And yet Christ looked at him and told him these words. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. In just a few short minutes, their suffering would be over. The thief on the cross would have his legs broken. They were going to take his, his feet from those nails. They were going to break his legs to where he couldn't even, he couldn't pull himself up anymore. Often these crucifixions would take three, four days for people to die. Yet Jesus gave up the ghost in just a few minutes here. The scripture says here, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Graciously, Jesus said, today's your last day where you'll suffer. You know, there's some truths in that. You know, in life, we go through suffering. Some of us, some of you are going through a great bit of suffering even now with your health. Our bodies are not meant to last forever. Some of the people of the membership of the Metropolitan Baptist Church are now shut-ins. They can't even come to church. They'd like to come to church, but they don't have the physical ability to be here. Just last night, one of our members was taken to the emergency room, and today they're at home. You know, we, we have people all over this congregation who are suffering. There's some people here today who talk to me about their family members who are in a hospital even to this very day. Our bodies are going to decay. They're going to wither away, and we will get to a place called death. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, our bodies will not last forever. The question is, where will you be if you die? In the thief on the cross case, this man who called to the Lord and said, Remember me, Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I want to tell you something. Paradise with the Lord means one thing. Your troubles are over, brother. Life's day is going to soon come to an end. All those songwriters had it right when they said there's coming a day when no heartache will come. 
No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, a glorious day that will be. That second verse starts talking about the sorrows and the troubles that people go through. Oh, how many of you have had to bury a loved one? How many of you have had to go through something called cancer? How many of you have gone through things like other people in your life having Alzheimer's or dementia or some kind of Lou Gehrig's disease or some incurable disease that people have got? They've gotten that bad news from the doctor and that songwriter said, there'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. How many of you have had burdens? Your children, sometimes they'll let you down. Your parents, sometimes will let you down. But there'll be no more burdens to bear in heaven. No more sickness. No pain. No more parting or no more dying over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. A glorious day that will be. That thief on the cross when Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. When he be, I'm sure that brought glory to his heart. The Lord's going to remember me and I'm going to be with him today. Years ago, and I've told you this story before, there was a young lady who was in her 30s with four children, diagnosed with an incurable cancer, stage four. She was heading to eternity and she said, I'm aggressively fighting cancer. But I'm completely trusting God. And she said, I never want to lose sight of the fact that to be in perfect health is to be in the presence of Jesus. You shouldn't lose sight of that either. Because when we get to be with the Lord, troubles are then going to be over. Our last burden will be laid down. Salvation came to this thief. Let me ask you this. Can you identify with the thief on the cross? Have you ever come to Jesus? And Jesus spoke words of peace to your heart. He can. He will. If you're not saved, he wants to save you. The thief believed on Jesus as Lord. The question for you is this. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, you've come to the right place today. We can show you from the scripture how you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven of all your sins and go to heaven when you die. Have you accepted that Jesus Christ has died in your place? for your sins. If you haven't, I want to invite you to come today. I want to invite you to come now, and I want to invite you to receive Jesus as your Savior, just as the thief on the cross received Christ. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we prepare to have this verse of invitation. When you stand up, if I see your eyes, I shouldn't. Bow your heads, close your eyes, have this moment of private time with the Lord. The music's about to start playing. And even if the music doesn't start right away, if you've been worked on by God and you need to be saved, all you need to do is step out of your pew and come on down here to the front. Come see me. I will direct someone in this congregation to show you and help you get saved. Just last week, we had someone come down, receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. There might be somebody here today and you've never been saved by God's grace. I want to invite you to be saved today. He's calling your name. He's done everything he's ever going to do to save your soul. He's died. He was buried and he rose again the third day. His blood has been shed. He paid for everything. As Brother John sings, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm inviting you to come. 
As Brother John sings, won't you come? Come on now. Jesus is it's a simple act of faith to believe on Christ you as your Savior. Maybe you need to pray for someone who is lost. Won't you come? Preacher, I'm not saved. I want you to come. You need to be saved. You come. for it. Let God have his way in your heart. Come home. Come home. How about you, young person? I'm not saved, Pastor. If you're not, I'm your friend. Christ is your friend. People in this church are your friends. We can show you. We can help you. Let us help you be saved today. Jesus is calling, calling all sinners. Come Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling. comes, we're going to close. Maybe you're here today and you've never been scripturally baptized and you want to join the church through baptism or a statement of faith or a statement from another church that you'd come in from a a church of like faith. Maybe you need to do something in this invitation. Maybe you need to go put your arms around somebody else's neck and say, listen, I'm praying for you. Maybe you need to make amends with somebody. Maybe God's got something else on your heart. Or maybe you've been putting off this issue of salvation. This, is, this verse is your verse. You come as we sing. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he 
has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Let's sing together. Come God is good. Say amen. amen. Thank you for being here in our services today. We pray that your heart has been blessed for being here. We hope that you feel welcome. And if you're visiting with us, we want to encourage you to be back with us as soon as possible. We have Sunday evening services here at Metropolitan. You're welcome to come back this evening at 6 p.m. Uh, please be back if you can be tonight. We're looking forward to great services with the Lord this evening at 6 and uh, we do want to thank everybody for your prayers this week. Brother Alan Webster accompanied me up to the Northland and helped me move my stuff. All you young people who helped me unload that trailer in 10 minutes, we appreciate you for doing that for me. And I thank you for welcoming uh, part of my family. Tyvon Rice is uh, basically an adopted son of ours, been a part of our family for some time. And Tyvon is pleased to be here in this place. And um, I believe that uh, so far he's been made to feel very, be very welcomed here. And I thank you for receiving him. Make sure that uh, you get his phone number, text him, and uh, encourage him in the Lord. He's looking for a job here, and uh, he's going to be looking for a place to live. And uh, you pray for him. Pray for my family as we transition here. We plan to be here the first uh, part of the month of June. And a lot of things are going to be, uh, they're moving pieces in our lives right now, but we're trusting in the Lord. Amen. Uh, pray for those who are, could not be here today. Miss Earlene Hasty did go to the hospital last night. Uh, she has some manner of a kidney infection, and uh, she's at home trying to recover today. And there are several other people, uh, Judy McKinney, who is shut in, and several other people who are battling major illnesses right now. Please be in prayer for them throughout the day and do your part um, to, to be a blessing uh, to them. I'm going to call on Brother Mark Davison to dismiss the service in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house today, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us to do today. We thank you for the word. Lord, I pray that you take the, the words that we've heard today and apply them to our heart. Lord, uh, thank you for those that have visited. Help us, Lord, to be an encouragement to those that are coming to our your house today. Bless us as we go home. Bring us back tonight. We might serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.